0: the Canon Rents Podcast. Today we have a special interview with one of the designers of one of last year's most interesting and uh, maybe underappreciated games. We'll get to that in a moment here. We have uh, in the studio now, Mattia Traverso. Is that the uh, correct way to pronounce the last name there?
1: That's perfect. I mean, I've heard much worse, so this is fantastic.
0: (laughs) All right. And uh, you are with through games exactly yes and you just last year put out a, a really interesting i i would describe it as a puzzle platformer called fru
1: yeah, exactly. Actually, we really like the pun that the game, name of the game is Through, mm-hmm. but the name of the studio <laughs> is Through, which I, I have a hard time pronouncing. You know, um, I actually did it to trick my fellow Italians. I knew that they wouldn't <laughs> be able to distinguish the difference. Um, mm. That actually caused us some problem with people who were trying to send us emails, but that's another story.
0: <laughs> Let's give a little bit of an introduction to you. You say that uh, in the little green room chat that we had before recording, you said that you have lived in Italy for the past year. Where were you before that?
1: Right. So I'm actually from Italy, but I've uh, mm-hmm. moved to the Netherlands uh, four to five years ago. I actually mm-hmm. went there to study. I I had my degree in uh, game design. I was an um, independent developer before then, and mm-hmm. I made Flash games. One of them is called one and one Story, and it's this uh, another puzzle platformer. I guess I'm cursed to only make puzzle platformers. <laughs> um, it's that- not a
0: bad curse to have, though.
1: I guess, but uh, we'll, we'll see from the, for the next game. But besides, sure. um, it's basically a puzzle platformer about a relationship, and the mechanics of mm-hmm. the game will change depending on the story of this relationship between this boy and this girl. How oh, interesting. Yeah, and I really wanted to have this career in... Uh, as an indie, you know, I wanted to make tiny flash games and just live off mm-hmm. that. But my parents weren't having it and they really wanted me to get a degree. So they forced me <laughs> to move to the Netherlands and get one and it was the best decision that I've ever taken. Like, mm-hmm. I I learned uh, game design for or AAA and bigger games and that's kind of what led me to through, which isn't that big, but it's definitely bigger than the tiny flash games that you can find that I've made before then.
0: Mm. Right. Uh, and so you're talking about a uh, game design um, study that you went through. Uh, was this study mostly focused on kind of the technical stil- skills that are required to produce a game? Or is there a lot more of the philosophical, the ideas of designing an interesting challenge and, and creating puzzles that are, uh, that are fair and intriguing to the audiences?
1: Well, it's a bit of both, right? It wasn't necessarily a study about uh, programming. It was certainly more about game design, but there are different ways of approaching game design. If you read uh, game designers that not necessarily have been in the industry, but they've been writing books about game design, there's a very theoretical way of approaching it. So actually studying how a game designer designs and what does it mean when you're designing a system rather than a very narrative-centric game, and so on and so forth. And these are very interesting concepts that allow you to. To think about your game in different ways but then there are also people in the industry that have started off when nobody was thinking about this so or, or at least it wasn't necessarily as as famous as it is today um, mm-hmm. so you have these two approaches a very practical one that is just about how do i make more levels for this game <laughs> and then an approach that it's about what does uh, what is it about these levels that actually make the player's mind tick so i think mm. one of the strengths of the university i actually went to was that it kind of gave me both perspective. Like I had both an industry veteran that I just made levels his entire life and didn't really know how to write a paper. And then somebody will mostly spend their time researching game from a theoretical framework. So I would hardly recommend for anybody starting in this field to actually try to get a bit of both as much as possible, because it really mm-hmm. opens your mind to the different ways you can approach game design.
0: You were saying before we started recording also that you were inspired a lot by the Super Mario Galaxy games and a lot of the, especially you highlighted some of the Nintendo stuff that had come before, but what are some of your Uh, kind of grand influences on the way that you think about game design?
1: I personally like, I think, every facet of of game design. But if there's something that I'm really into is designing games as systems. Like I'm someone who really enjoys the emotional aspect and the narrative aspect of most Mm. games. Um, But there's something about thinking about mechanics that link together and create emergent and depth uh, that somehow really pushes all my buttons you know um something that for instance a game that i extremely enjoyed was uh, the witness and without Mm, spoiling anything um for me the witness was really interesting because it's an exercise in taking a very simple rule and finding all of the possible ways that this rule can be used to generate interesting dynamics every puzzle in the witness isn't another level it isn't just making content for a game. It's expressing mm-hmm. how many things a single rule combined with other rules can create, right? It's a process of design where you try to take a simple concept, which doesn't necessarily have to be a rule. It doesn't have to be Mario jumps on an enemy, right? Jump, But it can also be mm-hmm. uh, how do human. Um, how do humans discover what's around them? Which I think is the starting process of the witness. And then you try to explore the one concept in all of the possible aspects that you can find. And what system design allows you to do is, is precisely that to build things that link together in such an elegant way that you don't need a lot of mechanics, you don't need a lot of situation for a lot of results to arise. Maybe this is a bit too theoretical, but like you can see this, for instance, in Super Mario Galaxy, there are certain platforms that are basically uh, double-sided. There's a side on the left and one on the right, and mm-hmm. the side on the left is full and you can jump on it, and the side of the, on the right is actually empty. But when you jump, the platform actually flips, and then the side on the right is actually full, and the side on the left is empty. Empty, right? This is an extremely simple rule. But then you combine it with the enemy behavior that they've created, and just put a goomba on one of the sides. What happens when you jump? The goomba actually appears, and you don't expect it. Or what about a coin on one of the sides? You jump to get the coin, but to uh, but since you jump, the platform actually flips. This mm, sounds right. extremely interesting, <laughs> but actually nothing told them. Like um, they didn't have to tie the behavior of the platform with the jump. But by doing so, by connecting two mechanics that don't necessarily have anything to do with each other, they create dynamics in the mind of the player that are extremely interesting. Like, I want to get that coin... But I know that if I jump while on the platform, I won't have anything to stand on. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump on that platform from another platform so I can get the coin and land on it. This is all stuff that happens in a very subconscious place, right? You don't you think about it, but most of the time you internalize these mechanics. And I think the role of a good system designer is creating systems that are so elegant and combine so well with each other that the play, for the player, they kind of become a second nature to think about the game in those terms without realizing he's doing it. So I guess what what really interests me is elegance and it's creating systems Mm. that can generate so many situations that have different reasons to be interesting every time
0: i remember that stage in mario galaxy and thinking that it didn't break the rules of uh of the game that they created but it kind of broke my players experiential rules of thinking that if i'm going to jump with mario i'm going to make sure that there's something for him to land on, obviously, or else I'm just going to fall to my death. And in that stage, like you have to jump into an area where there is nothing to land on because there will be something by the time you get there. And so, yeah, just kind of really inverting the way that you look at even the most kind of basic of rules in uh, really clever ways. Uh, which is something that we do see uh, a lot in Fru, which we will get to in just a little bit here. Um, but yeah, that that idea of elegance through uh, a kind of a minimum number of. Uh, of moving objects at once right? Is, is definitely kind of a through line there.
1: Just another quick example. This can be used just to generate puzzles, so to generate interest mm-hmm. in dynamics, but also generate emotion. And it's used basically creating a certain standard in the mind of the player and then subverting that. And an example mm-hmm. is Limbo. I'm only going to spoil something that happens in the first hour of Limbo. Mm, but generally right. in Limbo, you push crates around, right? It's a puzzle game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're expected to push crates around. Unfortunately, that's what we do in most puzzle games. So you push <laughs> that crate on the right, you jump on it. That's cool. So you learn this pushing mechanic and in your mind, you internalize it at something you do in this game. And then later on, you with this gigantic spider, you know? Mm-hmm. And the spider is following you everywhere in the map. It's really creepy. <laughs> the spider is extremely <laughs> creepy. And at some point, it gets stuck. And in order to get Mm -hmm. rid of him, you actually have to grab one of his legs and pull it just like Mm. you did with the crate. But the action doesn't change, but the object does. So by Mm. using the same rule and changing the context, they actually generate an emotional response in you because you were used to using the mechanic in a certain way. And they just flipped your ideal on how that should work.
0: Yeah, a powerful moment, especially because the spider's leg had previously um, proven to be a very dangerous it, part of the spider. And, uh, and so you have these mixed emotions of fear and victory and disgust as you uh, separate this leg from the spider's body. And yeah, it's a, a definitely kind of a memorable moment in that game. Let's talk a little bit about the... Uh, the, the team that you work with uh, through sure. games uh, are these people that you had met at university or are they the people that you know from um, uh, where did the this team come together
1: so we all started at a competition which I guess we'll get to in a little mm-hmm. bit uh, but it's mostly people that study with me at this university a couple of them mm-hmm. were my friends and uh, a few of them I actually didn't know uh, when and basically we participated in something called uh, a gem a game jam which is mm-hmm. a competition that lasts from two days to three days and you are assigned a theme and you have to make a game uh, in two days, right? And usually part of the appeal is actually to try to work with people you have never met before to see what you can come up with, you know, when combined with different people. Because ultimately at the end of the day, it's only going to be two days, right? So you might Mm -hmm. strike gold and meet some amazing people which you really work well with. Or it might not go too well, but that's fine, you only wasted two days. So (laughs) it's a fantastic tool to experiment. how different it feels to communicate with different people, basically.
0: So was your entire team uh, that ended up publishing the finished product there in that initial game jam? Or did you pick up people along the way or drop some people from the game jam?
1: There was... A little bit of changes here and there but uh, Mm -hmm. let's say the core of the of the team uh, is the same plus a few freelancers that were added later on Mm -hmm. uh, when we realized that uh, the game was going to be a little bit too big for us to handle so it's uh, actually slightly bigger now Uh, there's been one or two changes along the way but uh, nothing substantial like we we basically kept together and just pulled through yeah
0: Let's give a little description of the game so that people kind of know and can have in mind what we're talking about as we are talking about it. Uh, The game is, uh, as I previously mentioned, a puzzle platform game that was published in 2016, um, probably most notable for uh, making very, very heavy use of the Kinect uh, on the Xbox One. Uh, Do you want to give a little brief rundown of kind of the experience of playing the game, what it is, what it was that... uh, you're hoping that people get out of it?
1: So, Fru is probably the hardest game to describe, but if you see <laughs> a GIF or a video of it, it's really easy to understand. Mm, yep, um, yep basically, I think the easiest way to understand it is that there's a game mechanic that is very overused and very banal, which is the mechanic that you press a button and you switch to a different dimension. A lot of puzzle platformers do it, right? You're on a platform, but there's nowhere to jump. So you press a button and whoop, you, you're you in a different layer, a different dimension, and the layout of the level is different. Now, through kind of works like that, except we actually take the silhouette of the player playing thanks to Kinect, and we draw the second level inside of the silhouette. What mm. this means is that by moving around with your body you reveal an, alter- an alternative layout of the level that you're seeing so if there's no platform for you to jump you might just move there with your body and reveal one inside you. What this means is that you don't when you, when you switch dimension, you're not switching the entire screen, but you can always have pockets of one dimension inside your body and pockets of the other dimension outside. I probably found the most complicated way to explain it right now <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But basically, there are things in your body and there are things outside of it. If you move Mm -hmm. on top of the things outside of it, you hide them. If you move uh, outside of them, you reveal them. And basically, Mm -hmm. it all plays on the concept of you having to struggle and take and strike poses and move to actually create the perfect layout for you to finish the level.
0: Hmm. Right. Yeah, there's oftentimes platforms on either end of a gap that you want to reveal, but there's something in the middle that you want to avoid touching. And so you have to find a way to uh, arrange your arms to make the platform show up, but keep your head from letting the spikes in the middle show up or something. And uh, so it, it does get to be a little uh, little physically <laughs> involved yeah, as well definitely. as you're playing the game. Just a little bit of a background on my history with the game and why, why we're doing this interview right now for Canon Rinse is uh, this game was one that I was given to review over at Game Critics because I was one of the only ones that was uh, in the pool who had a connect on the Xbox One. <laughs> uh, I had... Just kind of recently gotten it at the time to play Harmonix's Fantasia Music Evolved game, which I also really liked, and so I was uh, really kind of up for something else that made use of the Kinect, because uh, you know there's not a not a ton on the Xbox One that uh, that really fully utilizes it and its potential. Um, but anyways, I I played through the game, I wrote up a review, I kind of immediately fell in love with the idea and the way that it was implemented. And um, as listeners to the end of the year show or the end of the year show that we did with um, Pixels Weekly as well, uh, both of those shows, um, I, I mentioned that Fru was probably my game of the year last year and it was one that I was really excited about and one that I always like to kind of make more people aware of because we're, we don't have these connect based xbox one games kind of thrust in our face the same way that we do a lot of other types of games kind of fewer avenues of hearing about something like this and so i wanted to specifically highlight this game because i think it's really interesting and really successful in what it does but i also wanted to hear the story of a team that has worked to publish a connect game in 2016 and kind of understand that journey and uh, the specific challenges that come with developing for connect and the specific kind of re- rewarding aspects and layers of invention that went into the game. So uh, I kind of have a lot to learn from this one, and uh, that's why I thought I would make a particularly interesting interview to do. So uh, yes, I, I very much like the game myself. I will be <laughs> probably uh, biased in its favor. <laughs>
1: That's cool. I mean thank you. Um one of the most difficult aspects for us and one of the most worry mm-hmm. like worrisome aspects during development at least during the last year and we'll get to how that happened but mm-hmm. was the idea that nobody would actually attention to her game. Um, This is something that is really relevant right now in indie games. Uh, A lot of people talk about the indie bubble and how the indie market is collapsing because there are too many games. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, lots of people uh, attribute this to the fact there's so many bad games because Steam really opened the gates. I really Mm -hmm. don't think that's the case. I think the main problem right now is that there's too many good games coming out. In 2016, there was basically an amazing game coming out every week. Right. So, yeah. not only we were scared that nobody was gonna pay attention to our game, it was also a game for Kinect. And ultimately. <laughs> um, the reception for a game on Kinect on 2000, 2016 was still mind-blowing. Like We actually mm-hmm. got reviewed by most uh, big websites and the Xbox One Reddit community was extremely nice to us and everything, but uh, I can't tell you how scary it was the day that we <laughs> launched the trailer and thought, you know, nobody's gonna care about this. It's been two years and a half. Mm. And why has it been two year and a half? I guess we'll we'll talk about that in a moment. Sure, yeah,
0: yeah. A lot of the uh, the news around the uh, release of this game and a lot of the publications that were made about this game uh, did have to do with the uh, viability of the Connect as a market grabbing platform at that point in time. Uh, you know, there was a lot of articles written about like a new connect game in 2016, you know, what's yeah. going on here and and to me that always felt a little reductive and it put the platform of the game ahead of discussion of the game itself. And right. so while Obviously the Kinect and I, I hate to say it because I love the platform, but kind of the lack of popularity of the Kinect at the time at which this was released will go into influencing the historical narrative of this um of this particular title as we look back on it. But um, you know, going forward I'm more interested in the aspects of the game itself and the game design and uh, a lot of the uh, the narrative and a lot of the things that you know, we can focus on market factors at the very end. But uh, for now, yes, yeah, so let's just kind of focus on the game, and um, and just try to understand what we can learn from it and what victories it it had along the way as well. The final version of the game comes with if you unlock all of the little hidden secrets throughout the levels comes with an early demo and from what i understand that is the game jam version of the game that was created in the first you know 48 hour game jam
1: indeed actually um the single player one because when you unlock the old prototype there's two there's a cooperative one for two players and Mm -hmm. one for the for a single player the single player one was actually the one made in 32 hours.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'm interested to hear where this original idea came from.
1: It's kind of a funny story because I've been attending personally lots of game jams. It was basically my way of trying to experiment with as many concepts as I could, you know, yeah. in a very limited time. Because of course, if you start a project, you're not going to work on it for 48 hours straight without sleeping because obviously you're not an idiot. Um, but <laughs> if you're at a game jam that's allowed, actually recommend it. So it gives you the ability to actually experiment with a lot of things. And I was really lucky to find very like-minded people. So in 2013, actually, we had already joined the Gobo Game Jam in Breda, which is this town in the Netherlands where we started. And we had made a game called Rupam, which is a very weird name. And hmm. it was this very experimental game. Since the theme of the Game Jam was Heartbeat, we tried to make this game for two players, in which there is one player standing... Uh, with another player back-to-back, and only one of the two players looking at the screen. And basically the way it plays is that uh, you're playing as a sniper, but the two players are playing as the heart and the brain of a sniper. So the one looking at the screen can aim with the controller, but he doesn't know who the enemies are. The other player has a PS move in his hand, and the PS move vibrates whenever the other player is looking at an enemy. But they cannot talk. They have to communicate (laughs) physically. So this was a very interesting experiment in saying, how do people communicate when they cannot talk? So for instance, they started like punching each other (laughs) to tell the other (laughs) player, hey, there's somebody here. The game is a bit more complex than that, and definitely not... As successful as through in using its mechanic in a very elegant way. It was ultimately fun. Uh, for a little while and it was an interesting experiment but since it used the PS Move it required uh, a Mac because back then drivers only worked on Mac and an Mm -hmm. Xbox 360 controller so we ended the gem with a game that only us could play because uh, it required a PS Move a 360 controller and a Macbook which is basically (laughs) like a fatal combination so we started this gem with the idea hey guys okay let's make something people can play no weird peripherals no extra hardware So you see how that ended up. But basically, uh, when we started the gem and the, the theme of the Global Game Gem 2014 was we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Mm-hmm. And we started thinking about all kinds of pretentious ideas on how to use this in system to hide information from different players and so on and so forth. But we really couldn't come up with anything that would convince us. You know, For, for us at the time, the gem was a way to find our best ideas, you know, we wouldn't just settle on one and and start prototyping. We wanted to feel like it was the right one. And so after like 12 hours, we're basically, we have nothing, you know, we're, we're scared. We're just going to drop out of the jam because we cannot come up with anything. And we take a smoking break. And during this break, which then became extremely famous, not famous, but for us, it's kind of like a milestone, like the smoking break, right? The moment, (laughs) um, a programmer, Christian, um, Tells us that he has brought a Kinect. And we're like, okay, Kinect? Like what do we do with that? You know? We actually haven't really ever played a Kinect game. We don't know hmm. about them. All the only thing we know is that most uh, let's say vocal gamers hate them, which isn't necessarily <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad, but um, Certainly, that's a bad stigma. And so, we start thinking about it and our programmer proposes this idea. What if we make a game of Tetris uh, but you are the pieces and you actually have to move your body so that you fit um, inside the, con- the thing that you're building, mm-hmm. right? And it sounded kind of cool but somebody ha- had already done it. So, we start to brainstorm some more ideas and we get this idea. What if everything is dark? Like, completely black. Mm-hmm. But... what's inside your silhouette so only what's inside your silhouette is visible and it's actually the level so, for instance, the game was that you had this sphere, it was a physical sphere, and you would have mm-hmm. to move your body so the sphere would roll to a certain part of the level. The idea was basically that what you would show with your body would exist, but you, what would you wouldn't show, it wouldn't. So if there was some sort of wall that you had to pass through, you only had to show the corridor beneath it by using your arm, and so on and so forth. It was a really primitive version of through so we started yeah, working yeah. on that right it was supposed to be a very physics based puzzle game uh, but the programmers cannot come up with a way to do collision that actually works 60 frames per second like everything they do is extremely slow and remember this is a gem so there's a lot of pressure on them like they're amazing programmers but they cannot come up with it so we're kind of down on morale because this isn't working and then David the other designer actually comes up with the idea of the two dimension it's like what if it's not black around your silhouette and you're not just revealing things but you're actually revealing another layer but there's one outside so you can keep swapping between the two just by moving and that idea just blew us away like it was like <laughs> this is what we're looking for you know like we knew it just felt right but the technology wasn't working so we're like okay what do we do and like is this gonna work are we gonna make it so we start designing levels and we're designing levels in unity but they don't work. <laughs> We're just hmm. placing platforms and imagining how this will play like, because we have no way to test it, right? And then mm-hmm. at some point, our programmer actually manages to finally write the shader that works for, uh, for the silhouette of the Kinect. And it still doesn't work with the collision. But what we do is that we take a picture of braid. And we use that picture and of two different levels of Braid to actually prototype our idea. Like, we cannot hmm. play it, but we, we can visualize it. And Braid is actually one of my favorite games. So, of course, I would plagiar- plagiarize that. <laughs> so, sure. so, we test that. And what David does, our designer, is that he takes off his hat and he uses his hat to make more space for the character. Because, of course, <laughs> the bigger the silhouette, the more you reveal. Mm-hmm. And... Man, like that was insane. Like we hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Up until now, we were just thinking of hey, you move left, you move right. And David had just mm-hmm. shown us that you can enlarge your you know the silhouette shape by using mm-hmm. your hat or by moving closer or by using your hands. And and you know, like the possibilities were so many, but still the technology wasn't working. So we have like ten levels and it's five AM, and finally the programmers like, Hey Mattia, it's working. I'm like, no, it's not possible. So I start testing it and it it's so much fun and it's like so cool you know like <laughs> i am on i don't know like i'm in uh, how do you say it I'm crazy you know i cannot take this so i start <laughs> running around the building i'm like guys, you have to try this this is amazing <laughs> like we had like four hours left you know and it just started to work and all the levels that we designed by imagining how the game would play actually Mm -hmm. played how we imagined it, -hmm. which is insane because usually you design things and nothing works the way you imagine it would, you know? (laughs) It was just lucky. It was amazing. And we ended up with this prototype that has like nine to 10 levels uh, that just started working. And I don't know, there's this guy from Microsoft Netherlands that sees it because he was Mm -hmm. there at the showcase. He's like, guys, this is really cool. Like you should really get in contact with Microsoft. And... That's how how we decided to actually make a trailer for the game and and it all started.
0: And so you had the uh, single player demo um, that you can play in the final version of the game uh, at the end of that game jam. And you also came up with a multiplayer demo. Was that later on?
1: Um, We started with the single player one. And actually, Mm -hmm. that's the one we made the trailer of. And it went somewhat viral, at least for our standards. Uh, Microsoft noticed it and they invited us to GDC. And so we went there, we actually brought the single-player one, and that's where we started talking about actually them, uh, getting them to help us finish this game. The cooperative demo was made for E3, because we were actually also invited to E3, and we didn't want to showcase the same demo, and we had nothing new. So in like two weeks, we just cobbled together like a version in which there's two players, and each one of them has a different dimension. So the gameplay changes even more, because it becomes mm. some sort of twister mit. Uh, Original through (laughs) because maybe I want to jump on a platform uh, that is uh, of my dimension. But I need you to stand over there, so I'm just gonna use my hand and move it in front of you, so my hand reveals my dimension just in that tiny bit, whereas everything else is covered by your silhouette. So mm-hmm. it's it was actually an interesting, very different version that unfortunately didn't make it into the final game due to time constraint. But you can play the original cooperative prototype if you if you access that. But basically, um, these meetings with Microsoft was what uh, actually convinced us to bring this project forward. Like when we started with the prototype, Kinect was an essential part of Xbox One, yeah, I think I'm quoting literally, but uh, mm-hmm. point being that they really believed in the periphery. They really believed that uh, it was gonna be just as successful as Kinect One. Kinect gets a lot of hate, but hey, Kinect One actually sold 17 million units, which is not bad at all, you know? I think yeah, it sold yeah. more than the Wii U. So, you know, it's actually <laughs> a quite successful platform. And Ubisoft with Just Dance and with all of these games actually mm-hmm. m- made a lot with it, you know? so. People were expecting Kinect to fail, but I don't think that it was that obvious that it would happen, you know? Um, mostly, I am afraid the problem was, besides the 100 years difference between Xbox One and PlayStation 4, um, mm-hmm. the fact that there was no real good title for it when it came out, like besides Fantasia, which was released after they unbundled it. Uh, But this is, I guess, another story. I just mean that it was definitely, a business-wise, a sensible decision for us to start a company and decide to better future on it. Personally, I had been looking for the project I wanted to work on. After a few years of very tiny Flash games, I wanted to make my braid my super meat boy, you know? Mm -hmm. And to me, uh, through allowed me that because I saw him through something that could be expanded through, as as we told before, some elegant mechanics that would generate Mm -hmm. a lot of potential levels and a lot of very interesting situations, you know? And something very interesting is... Uh, If you think about the difference between sports and games, for instance, is that if you play soccer, there is a lot of factors and variables that you cannot Mm -hmm. really calculate in a game because they depend on your psychology, um, the weather, uh, whether you ate today or you didn't, because ultimately (laughs) sports are played in reality, whereas games are digital systems, you know. So even though the way you play it can be altered by how you're feeling... Ultimately, it's kind of a closed system of variables. Instead, through, since you play with your body, allows us to bring reality into that. So for instance, levels might test test actually how uh, good you are at being a state balance on one leg or so on and so Mm, forth. So it's not just elegant systems of digital rules. It's also elegant system of digital rules that interact with the real world, which is something that was super interesting to me back then at the time.
0: You had some success with that early demo. You got some eyes, especially at Microsoft, on it. Um, Did they initially approach you as kind of a way of adding value to the Kinect platform? It sounds like they were interested in um, bringing more kind of interesting, unique games to the Kinect, which is still really believed in at the time
1: oh definitely that 's true was exactly what they were looking for. You know mm-hmm. It was us and another developer that was making a game called Crabbitron, which is hilarious you 're playing as this crab mm-hmm. in space and you can actually use your hands as the as the uh, crab claws. Uh, unfortunately, it never came out, but it was really funny um, but basically, I think we were right what they were looking for like when we showcased that GDC. Phil Harrison, which I don't think is with Microsoft anymore, um, was actually directing journalists mostly to our booth and to another game. And I think the demo was interesting, but we weren't necessarily better than most of the games that were showing at the Indie Showcase. Uh, but we were showcasing, we were proving the point of Kinect, right? When you're mm, betting right. so much on a certain peripheral, you want to make sure you have something that actually proves its, it's existence, right? And I think every device has something that does that, but not necessarily maybe the Kinect for Xbox One. So I think they were hoping that with little investment, and I don't necessarily mean money, but I mean um, getting an indie studio to actually publish the title, um, they would be able to prove their peripheral without having to, I don't know, uh, get Rare to make another gigantic game Mm, for it or something. I don't know exactly what the reasoning was, because of course they don't tell you what their plan is, Uh, but I'm 100% sure they were really behind this. Chris Carla who's the head of the Idea at Xbox program, the indie uh, program, was actually Mm -hmm. personally involved. Like he he loved the game and he really supported us and we had amazing chats and he basically pulled through to help us finish this game up until the very end, even when Kinect was not important at all. He's one of the most creative and interesting person I've met and I cannot thank Microsoft enough for this
0: now, uh, just to kind of contextualize all, all these stories that are being told, uh, what year was the game jam and then when, uh, what kind of time frame was it that Microsoft started really taking uh, a uh, interest in shipping you to E3 and GDC and such?
1: Right. So the game jam was in January 2014 and okay. uh, GDC was in March after that and then E3 was in June. So when we went to okay. E3, Xbox uh, Kinect had already been unbundled, so we kind of knew that, but when I, when I say reservations, for instance, I mean that, um, mm-hmm. first of all, I cannot really tell in which way Microsoft helped us, right? Because of NDA and such. But the reason mm-hmm. that it, the fact that I cannot tell you should mean something, right? It means there's something I cannot tell. <laughs> Otherwise, <laughs> okay. oh, oh, of course, then it would make no sense. Uh, but besides the fact that we would have not shipped this game without them, uh, when they removed the Kinect, uh, we were not actually told... Uh, we actually mm. had to read about it on Kotaku, which didn't feel great, you know, because we had yeah. this partnership going on with these people. And then at some point we discovered that the connect is being removed. <laughs> and back then they told us it was still the focus and it's kind of clear that it wasn't at all, you know, and... Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily blame them. It was a wise business decision. You know, the console wasn't selling and this hundred year or more was definitely bringing it down. So it was a good decision, but it definitely wasn't communicated very well. And there seems to be kind of a problem in Microsoft, just communicating with its parties and everything, because there's so much going on at any precise point, but anyway, um, we basically started real development, uh, after GDC. So in April, 2014, and the game was released in July, 2016. So ultimately, ultimately it's like two years and a half around that. A bit more, a bit less, but basically that's the time frame we're talking about.
0: I noticed in the final version of the game, the Kinect implementation is really smooth. Uh, You know, even the best Kinect titles have some problems in the detection of people and the uh, silhouette can get a bit splotchy at times, but I was impressed with how how smooth and how, you know, solid the silhouette felt in the final version of the game. And then going back to the early demos, uh, I mean, the idea was definitely there and things definitely worked, but it it, it didn't feel nearly as smooth as as it ended up being. Um, Was this something that kind of steadily improved throughout the development of the game? Or was this uh, just some of the, once you started working with people at Microsoft who knew the platform a bit better, it was something you can iron out pretty quickly?
1: Uh, it was mostly us, honestly. But uh, mm-hmm. there's two ways of seeing this. Basically, there's both a design point of view and a technical one. Uh, for mm-hmm. As far as the tech goes, our programmers did an amazing job. There's actually a shader that we've wrote to actually smooth the silhouette. So what comes out of the Kinect isn't what you're seeing in through. Like there's actually mm-hmm. code running in the background that is taking the silhouette and smoothing it. It's filling it. It's filling all the gaps to make sure okay. that basically it just runs as well as it can and it doesn't interrupt and so on and so forth. So, And that was extremely gradual, like it took us a long time to get to the state of the final game. Right, Every month we would improve the shader and it would get better and better. As a fun fact, a few tips on writing this shader were given to us by one of the uh, shader and technical artists at that, who later worked on Inside. So I can say that somebody who worked on Inside actually has also helped make him through, <laughs> which is kind of uh-huh. cool. <laughs> but besides the technical aspect, I think the most important one, well, maybe because I'm a designer, so that I'm a bit biased. But one of the important aspects is that this game was actually designed to work around the limitation of Kinect, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. to be hindered by them. So the main problem when you're trying to use a new control system is that they have to work 100% of the time. If there, right. if there is frustration or it's not precise, or you don't understand if it's actually getting your input, then you might as well just use buttons, right? You might, you have mm-hmm. to feel like this input makes sense. And basically Kinect is as an amazing detection of the silhouette, but a not so great detection of motion gesture so, for instance, how have I moved my hands or, uh, I don't know, have I flipped right now? Am I looking the other way? And this kind of stuff is not extremely reliable and it's normal that it isn't because, of course, the, the peripheral is like an 150-year peripheral. It's an amazing one, but it's normal. The tech isn't there. But the detection of the silhouette is actually really good. And basically, this is something that works when you're moving slower, So what we did is that we designed the game that would work around the player moving slowly because it's a puzzle game. So you have to take Mm -hmm. your time to figure out what to do. If you think about it, even the most, agitated and fast moments of through involve being fast with the character rather than being fast with mm, the silhouette. Right. The silhouette is always moving at a slow pace. Even when it's fast, it's never that fast. And that's to give the Kinect enough time to actually register every movement, right? If the Kinect would have worked with incredibly fast movement, through might have turned out a completely different game. So we actually looked at what worked and what didn't, play tested a lot, and figured out the levels in which you had to think more and move less were not only better for Kinect but ultimately better for a game because they gave it a completely different feeling from all of the other Kinect games in which you're trying to dance as fast as you can or hit enemies that are coming and moving your arm uh, in a extremely frenetic way right frantic way. Mm
0: -hmm. And we should mention just to give the listeners some context that the Uh, The silhouette, as we've mentioned is not the only and maybe not even the primary method of interacting with the world that uh, while the player is using their physical body to uh, Kind of link between these two worlds as has been mentioned um, the player controls the character with the controller and so uh, Yeah, the player can use either of the thumbsticks to move the character right and left and then can use either of the triggers to uh, allow the character to jump and so it's a, an interesting use of uh, not only the motion sensing, but also the more traditional um, control methods, which you mentioned, and that allows you to uh, require a little bit more of the player character than you do of the player themselves right. in this world.
1: Exactly, that was pretty dumb of me not to mention. It's one of the core <laughs> elements of the game. Actually, it's funny because uh, Microsoft had been pushing, had been pushing before through to use Kinect without a controller. Right? The tagline mm-hmm. was, "You are the controller." So lots of developers were not necessarily discouraged, but it wasn't necessarily. It didn't come up that you could just use a controller as well. Mm-hmm. And one of the first decisions we took in through is that the control should be extremely simple. Right. There should be mm, no yeah. noise in your head, nothing distracting you from you and the puzzle. If the silhouette is glitching, the controls are really hard, or there's too much on screen, then we have failed because what interests us is showing you the dynamics and the interesting aspects of the puzzle, not to fill you with distractions, right? And so mm-hmm. there's only one button to jump, basically any sorry, any of the shoulder buttons can be used to jump, mm. and you can move the character with either analog sticks. By doing so, you can move the character with just one hand because you only need one analog stick and one shoulder button. Yes. Right? So is is shoulder button the actual name or am I making that up? Back uh, yeah,
0: well, I think there are uh, bumpers on the Xbox, but every console calls them something a little different. I think shoulder buttons is a pretty nice uh, kind of uh, console neutral term to use.
1: Perfect. So um, what this means is that we can actually require of the player to pull off movements in which they're stretching their arm right and their other arm left while they're raising mm-hmm. one leg, which sounds terrifying, but it's actually pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> Especially uh-huh. since controlling the character is so easy because, you know, you just need to move and jump
0: if any other developers that are listening or anything like that is interested in developing for connect, I'm sure that some of the wisdom that you picked up along the way, some of those ease of use things, some of those things that through uh, kind of months of experimentation, you found these to be the best way or the, the most elegant way to express some of these ideas. I'm sure those would be helpful. So yeah, as they come up, absolutely. We'd love to hear some of these, um, these small considerations that otherwise people might not even think of in the first place.
1: For sure. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily recommend developing a game for Kinect in 2017, <laughs> um, sure. but I think some of the lessons that we we'll learn apply to any kind of game, right? Because game right. design is kind of universal and
0: Especially since there are so many more unique platforms these days, a lot of the lessons that are uh, that can be taken from Fru can probably also be applied to uh, using experimental control methods with the uh, with VR technology, with the motion sensing that goes in with the with the Oculus or with um, the Switch and all of its new technological ideas that it's introducing. And so, you know, this is kind of it's not just a a connect post mortem in a way. It's kind of a developing for new technologies and and best ways to explore the technologies and make the most of them. So, yeah, I think it's definitely applicable.
1: For sure. I mean, besides that, which definitely VR is a platform that has a very physical aspect to it, which I think people don't consider very much, right? When you're designing a game, um, you're often thinking about rules and mechanics, right? You're not thinking about the player, which is kind of funny if you think about it, because we tend to design, (laughs) I don't know, Mortal Kombat, by thinking this is the bottom input, this is the move, this is the counter. But we don't think, for instance, if I move my thumb from the Y button to the B button, that's Mm -hmm. actually a shorter um, gap from the Y button and the A button. Therefore, a combo that requires me to press Y and A is actually harder than a combo that requires me to press Mm -hmm. Y and B. And this is something that really opened my mind while developing through, right? Because the difficulty came from both the digital rules and the physical Mm -hmm. rules of your body, right? And something that we did that was extremely important that I, think some, that I think could be used for VR as well in a completely different way, of course, is that we made a list of mechanics, like digital mechanics, right? Like, ah, oh, the body is made of water, there are spikes, there's this kind of platform. And then we made a list of physical mechanics, such as you can raise your leg, you can raise your arm, you can... I don't know, raise both arms, you can jump, you can try to stretch, and so on and so forth. And then when designing levels, we didn't do this throughout the very end because it, it took us a, little, a bit too long. But when designing most levels, we would be thinking, how difficult is this level if we were to consider only the digital mechanic? How difficult would this level be if we were only to consider the analog mechanic? Mm. And so we would realize that basically, if we up the difficulty of the game, physically, in sync with how we up the difficulty of the game digitally, the experience mm-hmm. would be so much better. Because otherwise, we would have levels that we designed with digital mechanic that were extremely hard for the body. And then immediately after, a level that was precisely slightly harder, if you consider the digital mechanics, but so much easier with the body mechanic. So you had this disconnect. And in a way, I feel this can be used very much when designing... Um, VR games, because the movement that you make with your hands and things that you pick up and so on has its own inner end difficulty that actually comes from how the body works, how balance works, how fatigue works, exertion, so on. And so it's really worth thinking, um, I'm balancing this level for, for the difficulty of that this digital mechanics can emerge. But what movement is the player doing? Uh, can I make it more comfortable? Can I mm-hmm. make the movement it's doing slightly harder as the levels in the game become harder? Or is my curve of difficulty just all over the place?
0: As one of the things I was most interested in when I was reviewing the game is that you are essentially balancing you know, two entirely different difficulty curves for entirely different skill sets. And uh, that's something that obviously connect games have to manage. Um, and then, as you said, VR games have to manage as well. Do you have any advice on uh, how to receive the best feedback for, um, you know, during testing or whatever to be able to tell whether or not one of the difficulty curves is outpacing the other one?
1: Right. So, I mean, I, I can try to formalize what we did but obviously uh, when you're when you're in this process you're trying to figure it out and you try something and then if it doesn't work you try something else and it's very natural um, it's it's hard to put into words exactly the process uh, but basically what we did and what I think is, is extremely important is we play tested a lot right and we tried to play test with all the different kinds of body shapes and people and athletes or students or a gamer or not not The gamers cannot be (laughs) athletes, Uh but uh, all kinds of people, right? And what was really, really important uh, for us, for instance, was asking them if they were tired and after how long, right? And Mm -hmm. try to see if the enjoyment of the experience had some sort of connection with how tired they were, try to frustrate them physically, try to make levels that actually raised up the difficulty in a physical sense very fast, and then try to make levels that actually did them more smoothly, and then try to compare the results between the two play play testers. Uh, But something that was extremely important for us was realizing that we didn't really know the game that we were making. And what I mean by saying that we didn't know the game we were making is that when you start developing a game and you have some mechanics in mind, uh, you try, you prototype it, you see if it's fun, and then you add more according to, I don't know, your design sensibility or how you do game design. Um, but it's not until you really see people playing your game that you truly understand how it really works right. and yes. what it all really means, right? Um, and I don't mean that just to say, oh, you try that mechanic, it's not very clear, or it's not very fun. Those are surface level um Observation, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can have levels and you can see: is it fun? Is it too long? Is it boring? And blah, blah blah blah. And all this stuff is extremely important. But the thing that you should really be looking for is why are people playing the way they are? And mm-hmm. I'll make you an example. In Fru, we had uh, we were used to the concept, right? We were used to moving around the screen and revealing and hiding platforms, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something that happens all the time in Fru where you are standing on a platform with your character. And you move out with the body and there is no platform on the other side, on the other layer. So you fall to your death, right? Because you Mm -hmm. haven't checked. And basically, we try to limit this. So most of the times when there is a platform in the center of the screen, for instance, and you kind of expect psychologically for the center to be safer, Uh, At least that's what we found. Uh, When Mm -hmm. you move out, there's always a platform on both layers. So you can just start dancing in front of the screen and that won't alter your character. You will not die. You're in a safe spot, right? And this Mm -hmm. for us was an extremely simple concept. You just go on a platform with your character. You see with your hands or with your feet or with your body. If there is an alternative platform in the other layer, if there is one, you can move freely with your body and you're free and it's not dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. So we were expecting people to move their character onto a safe platform and then explore the rest of the level. But since people knew that there was the chance that they would die because they moved their body, even though they knew they were on a safe platform, they could never fully trust the game. So they would move extremely slowly, like really slowly, because they were so (laughs) scared of killing the character by doing something wrong with their body. So something that we came up with, which we did for a few levels, but unfortunately, given the time constraints, we were not able to put an entire game. Was basically whenever a platform was safe, as in there was the same platform in the other layer, mm-hmm. we would put flowers on it. Like and we wouldn't oh, tell we, we wouldn't tell the player that this is the case, right? But mm-hmm. you would move on to the flowers and you would see that hey, there's flowers on the other dimension too, because the flower changed depending on the dimension you're looking at. So yeah. if there's flower on the platform. That means that most likely the platform behind it it exists, right? So (laughs) you're safe there and you can move faster. And unfortunately, this didn't make it into the final game for all of the levels because game development is horrible and (laughs) and (laughs) it takes too long to do everything. But Mm -hmm. we never really explicitly tell the player this is the case. It's not an important mechanic. It's more of a dynamic. But by really observing that they were playing and seeing they were playing slower, like, okay, they look scared. It looks like they don't trust the game and they don't move a lot. Why is that, you know? Hmm. And, and you try and you ask them in the interviews and they don't know it, of course, because you don't know why you react the way you react. You don't formalize everything you think, right? And basically, it's all this tiny assumption, like not taking anything for granted, seeing exactly the face of the player. Why is that emotion there? And not just looking for, is this fun? Is this long? Is this slow? Which is important, but really trying to say, okay, I don't know how this game works. <laughs> I have designed it, but there's so many ways that it can be played. I have to understand why yeah. people play the way they do. And I think this is like the most important lesson I learned through, uh, you don't know the game you're making. You think you do, but you don't. You have to look mm-hmm. at people playing it. And through this process, you realize that when you're designing the game, you're not making content. You're kind of like an explorer. You go to a secret island, right? And you know the direction. You know where it is. But, mm-hmm. And you kind of know what's in there. But your job is to go through this island, find the cool things, remove all of the dangerous and boring ones, <laughs> and create a path uh-huh. that, that kind of ties all of the amazing things that this island has to offer. You might know the name of the island and you might kind of know what it has but you don't really know the places until you see people going into it you know mm-hmm. I don't know if that was a super late metaphor but I I said <laughs> it so there it is
0: Yeah I think that helps uh one of the things that I'm interested in especially with the implementation of the connect um was uh, we talked about kind of balancing the difficulty curves for the physical interactions as well as the um, kind of controller-based interactions. I-, I wanted to kind of bring into this, one of the uh, criticisms that I had of the game in my original review was right. that uh, it it didn't always seem like every level would have been playable by every person because it's uh, the level of uh, physical interaction that it takes. And of course, you know, not every game needs to be playable by every single person. But, um, you know, I... I was uh, a little disappointed when I played the game to not see like a skip level function. So if somebody wasn't able to do one of them because they had a bad back and they couldn't get into a certain pose, or if they were um, confined to a wheelchair and couldn't uh, couldn't do one level, but they could do the next one, like there was no way to guess, progress um, beyond a level that you were stuck at. Uh, and, and so I, I wanted to ask what kind of, Accessibility considerations did you make as a team as you were developing the game um, based on not only people with uh, with real disabilities, but also uh, just, you know, folks who don't have the same kind of physical stamina as somebody who is a uh, accomplished yoga master.
1: (laughs) Um, So this is one of the things that I guess I feel a bit ashamed about, right? Because um, if there's something that they tell you when you listen to talks about game accessibility is that uh, game accessibility doesn't have to have a huge cost on your development or be a big thing, but Mm, you have to start doing it early. And this is an extremely important lesson because we we thought about these things, right? We were aware of the fact that uh, we would have had to look into making the game more accessible and it's something that we really wanted to do. Uh, but unfortunately, game development is a tough beast. So when you're burnt yes. out and you've been working 13 hours a day to ship this game and you don't know if it's ever going to end and so on and so forth, there's a lot of things that... You wanted to put in, but you have to axe, you know, because ultimately Mm -hmm. you're not going to finish the game. And if you have to choose between trying to make it accessible for all and uh, not shipping, obviously the answer is an easy one. So we wanted to put in a skip function, but that needs to be designed properly, right? You need to design a proper UI for it. Uh, You need to make sure that it doesn't get in the way of people who don't want to use it and so on and so forth. And so I'd rather do, mm, don't do something than do it in a, Crappy way. So, yeah, um, yeah. something that we, first of all, something we did is when we released the game, we made a donation to Able Gamers. So, at least we were able to give something back mm-hmm. because we felt a bit. Just shame, you know, that so many people couldn't play this. But also, we made sure that the Kinect would be okay with two people being on screen. So mm-hmm. if you have one person playing and the other person using the controller, it's easy to actually tell the Kinect who's playing by having the person who's playing get closer to the screen. So we had some checks in place to make sure that the experience would work if you were trying to play cooperative, the single player game, right? Which at least tried to alleviate that that problem. It still remains that I don't necessarily think that every game needs to be played by everyone, even though that sucks. Because, you know, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. through is a lot about the physical aspect of it all, right? Right, Um, That doesn't mean that there cannot be a gradient. So something that we did is also trying to uh, calculate how uh, exertion worked, so how many levels until somebody gets tired and try to Mm -hmm. balance the size of the chapter on that right? Hmm. Uh, But definitely, you're right. We should have had the skip function, uh, but we should have thought about it from the start so it was easy to implement and we would have not had to uh, subtract time from actually shipping the game. So that's one of the biggest regrets I have, together with maybe not having a more complete story, which is uh, one of the points of your review as well, which if you want, we can get to.
0: Yeah, actually, let's uh, let's talk about that narrative a little bit. It's an interesting um, it's an interesting setup. Uh, the the game transformed quite a bit from its original prototype, which I uh, I don't remember if I mentioned it in the review or not. But I, I was definitely thinking while I was playing the original prototype, and and you kind of confirmed it as you were going into the history. It felt very Braid like in its um in its presentation and the way that it played. Uh, but then as the game transformed into the final uh, the final version of what it ended up becoming. It, um, it it took on a very interesting, um, v- very interesting aesthetic. You play as this little girl who wears a fox mask, it's very kind of uh, nondescript facial features in a way. You know, you don't really get to ever connect with her in that way, um, seeing the face of the person underneath the mask. Uh, you tell this story about a, a crumbling kingdom of a ruler who um due to i believe it was some insecurity of her own was uh, requiring that uh everybody in the kingdom wear masks and so i'm interested into uh if you could just give kind of like a brief rundown of uh of what the story was was meant to impart and then the emotional and narrative points that you wanted to try to kind of reinforce with uh with the story that you ended up putting in the game?
1: So I can tell you what the story was meant to be like and how we got to this place and a little bit about the current story. I'm not necessarily the person that was most involved with it. Like I worked a lot on the previous story of the game, but this new one was mostly set up by other designers. So I'm not necessarily the best person to explain that. But I can tell you that when we started the project and you're right in describing it braid-like because braid was one of the biggest inspiration. We yeah, wanted through yeah. to be another braid. You know, we wanted to make the braid for Kinect. Our extremely ambitious, ambitious objective was um, everybody's mocking this peripheral, but we really believe in this concept. So mm-hmm. let's show everyone that Kinect can do everything they don't think it can and yeah, so yeah. that wasn't just let's make a puzzle game we wanted to make an actual rich game with a story with a background with a lore with characters like we said it a bit too big admittedly uh but <laughs> to, to give you a description in the original through which is the fruit that we worked on for a year and a half which is quite a mm-hmm. lot actually the world of Fru was inhabited by humans, so normal humans, just like your character in Fru right now, but also mm-hmm. but by, by beings that we call the giants. The giants were beings that were made not of matter, but they were living portals, just like your character, mm. like your silhouette character is showing a portal inside it. In the old version of Fru, there were many like you. And the game was divided between sections that didn't use Kinect and sections that did. So we could have players play and rest a bit, then do a little bit of Kinect and then rest a bit with a little bit mm. more story-driven content. basically. The idea is that in the world of through when people would pass, they would turn into these gigantic beings just before they moved out of this limbo. It was basically a temporary state, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the initial scenes is you're walking through this forest and it's a very dark forest. Basically it's very, there's no light and it's hard to see, but there is a light coming from the right and you don't know what it is. So of course you start walking to approach this light. And as you walk, uh, weird shapes start to appear and at some point you realize that the light is coming from a giant and this giant is lying down in this gigantic forest and inside of the giant since the giant is a portal uh, it leads to a dimension that is a sunny dimension with a wheat field and there's people Mm from this village that are coming from the dark forest into the giant to collect the wheat. So the idea was that this word, um, the thing that for player was so weird and, and uncanny, this gigantic silhouette dudes was very normal because it was part of the ecosystem of this world. Like villages would use the giants to go where they couldn't go in their normal life. Like there would be a giant made out of water where they will fish inside or mm, there would yeah. be, um, Another giant, uh, I'm sorry, I'm trying to remember some of them, but it's been a long time. Uh, There would be giants leading to very dangerous lands, so the Mm -hmm. villagers would try to get them out and get them away. And you were playing as one of these giants. Like, your role in the game was motivated. You were clearly somebody who recently had passed, right? Mm -hmm. And you had that relation with the main character. And the entire story was based on you trying to figure out who you were, right? Why... Were you different than these giants? And I don't know if you can imagine it, but, but we would use the sections without the connect to um, teach the player the mechanics. So for instance, there's this mechanic in through where you can swim inside of your silhouette and you mm-hmm. can use that to reach other places. So for instance, you start swimming in... In your left arm, you swim all the way to the center of your body, and then you pop up from your right shoulder, for instance, right? Mm, and you reach yeah. a high platform. In the old through, this mechanic was introduced earlier. You would meet giants that were made of water, and they were uh, NPCs. They were recorded, so they would, for instance, walk from left to right in a loop while they were thinking. So you would use them and they would present challenges and levels, time challenges and levels that were different than when you play as the as the silhouette, but they would teach you the mechanic in a way that was both narrative and a tutorial. Right? And we basically worked for a year and a half on this testing different mechanics and setting up a recorder to record the silhouette of the of the player. We even talked with a theater company so that they would do the giants for us basically. Um, mm. but basically there were two factors that got in the way. One is the connector. Uh, sorry. One is Microsoft removing the connect, which was a huge blow because mm-hmm. without going into detail, the support that we received, um, was cut in half to, to mm. actually okay. even more. So, um, uh, all of a sudden the size of the project that we could make uh, just became much smaller. And -hmm. also it was definitely a bit too much for us to tackle. Like it was, uh, it required too many assets and too much work and it was too big and we couldn't really make it, um, it was fun, but the recording were really hard because you can imagine that you're not just recording a video, you're recording a silhouette on Kinect, so it needs to be clean. So maybe it doesn't right, work, in yeah. again. And what if you make a change to your level design then you have to re-record the entire thing. It was a mess. You know, it dragged us down. Like the team mm-hmm. was super burnt out after a year and a half. You know, the kinect was being removed. The market was dying because of course the, the market was dying because Microsoft was trying to shut it down. Uh, mm-hmm. the game wasn't really working. We really believed in it, but it took us too long to make it and it wasn't at the quality we wanted. So we took a break, like a month break, and when we came back, we told each other, guys, this isn't working, um, we can make an amazing puzzle game, let's make that. Let's just make the best puzzle game we can make with this mechanics that we have prototyped over the course of a year and a half, uh, it's Just Connect, uh, the story it's not gonna be there or it's gonna be extremely simple, uh, let's make the best that we can. And it worked. We were so motivated and we had such a strong direction that we finished the entire game in nine months or something. So it was really a fantastic exercise in killing your darlings and admitting <laughs> when yeah. you're wrong, you know, And mm. which is a shame because I think if we could have ever made this game it would have been something you know uh we we have some of the recordings of the of the old versions maybe we'll publish them sometime but mm, yeah. uh, uh it was very interesting at least
0: it does sound really interesting i like that idea and uh, you mentioned of course uh braid you wanted to create something that was kind of braid like but uh you know braid didn't even have uh, that many characters or that much uh expository storytelling and in fact probably the the aspect of braid that is criticized the most are the storytelling moments where it, it just kind of lines you lines up a row of books that you just have to uh, walk through and just read walls of text That's um, true. really the the ending of the game which is probably the most um narratively resonant moment for most players uh the very end which we won't spoil here, but uh, it, it's a very kind of powerful moment once you realize what's going on. That is told almost entirely experientially. And um, that's something that I think the uh, the final version of Fru really does capitalize on. It feels like it tells the story of this kingdom in the same way that um, that Braid did as well. Uh, and, and so the way that I understood the story, uh, it, it sounds or it... It felt like I was a uh, portal between two different time periods, kind of when the kingdom was built up and in good repair, and then the present time, which was where the uh, little fox mask girl lives, where the kingdom is kind of fallen and everything is in disrepair. Is this kind of how you saw it as a time travel type narrative, or is it more like two alternate versions of the same space?
1: Um, it's, it's a little bit of both. So for instance, the water dimension doesn't necessarily make sense with the rest of the story, right? So it's mm. it's both uh, time travel and an alternative version of the castle and what could have happened, right? Okay. Ultimately, the story is about vanity and it's about what you see is not what you get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as in the theme of the gem, if I can uh, reiterate, was we don't see things as they are we see them as we are Mm, and we really took that to heart you know like the mechanic of through is all about seeing a word through your lens and even though the story is simple it kind of echoes that feeling because it's the it's a story without spoiling necessarily the ending even though i don't know how many people will play it but if you want to play it i'll lend you a kinect by the way if you're listening to this (laughs) i'll just ship it to you anyway (laughs) um the story is about this ruler that is so um because of her vanity, right? Or his vanity, mm-hmm. um, ask everybody to cover their faces with masks, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, beauty has to be preserved. And it's about exterior appearance and uh, interior one, right? And it's, it's mm-hmm. a bit of an analysis of what does it mean to see things only through one lens, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily deep necessarily, but we like the fact that it echoes the mechanic of the game itself, and this idea of seeing things as you are, basically.
0: Hmm. Yeah, as you had mentioned before, uh kind of one of my points of of criticism in the uh, original review was uh kind of around the story that, you know, while aspects of it do definitely align with the kind of dual reality of uh seeing, you know, as you said, the way that things really are. Um I, I felt like I have as a player was forming just through my physical interactions with the game, such an interesting kind of personal narrative and personal relationship with the characters, that aspect of the experience wasn't what was being uh, most heavily emphasized in the narrative. And, um, you know, I I kind of felt at the time that uh, while I didn't dislike the story, I felt like it wasn't emphasizing what I viewed as being the most interesting part of the experience, which was mostly kind of just the really unique relationship that I had with this little character, and it Definitely. reminds me of um, of the Last Guardian that just came out. Actually, how it's about these two characters that kind of are of entirely different scales, have different ability sets, uh, kind of rely upon each other, and have a very uh, you know, if 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 you've played the Last Guardian, they have a very physical connection with this creature everything is very you know they aren't necessarily a series of animations that are playing out you have to interact with the with the beast's actual body in a a really kind of physical way and as i was playing the game there as i was playing through i should say um there was a real magic to lifting this little on-screen character in my actual hand and uh, you know kind of raising her to higher platforms or allowing her to you know swim up my arm as you were mentioning earlier or kind of run across my leg or something there's a real like deep connection that I felt to this character that I haven't really felt in a lot of other games and so interesting to hear that the early drafts of the story really did kind of contextualize what we as the player are in this world and that same kind of cooperative relationship that the characters in this world had with these these elemental giants
1: right absolutely like what you're saying is extremely valid and if anything uh, the story doesn't really take into account um the character the other character you're playing because effectively you're playing two characters in this game
0: right Mm, right and
1: i definitely the intention was there when we started developing the old story um this giant still lived in this uh in this place and when i'm about to tell you i'm not sure if it's actually good Or bad because I haven't thought about mm-hmm. it in a long time. But back then, <laughs> uh, our idea was that um, the giants are some sort of a limbo state between life and death, right? So mm-hmm. when people in this world pass out, they turn into these beings. And the whole concept was an analysis. And this sounds a bit pretentious, but we wanted to talk about grief and how different people mm-hmm. handle it, right? Yeah. And if you could have the person that Past out near you but in this form, you know, what would it mean, right? We would take this excuse for a fantasy war to try to tell a, a bigger story. And um, the the idea back then was that the story relied on this girl and her brother and unfortunately uh Plot twist: the the brother dies at the beginning mm-hmm. of the story and what happens is you you meet this giant and you don't really know who he is like uh, the girl knows what the giants are but you as a player don't and you slowly discover as you play the giants are well deceased person so you start to think about what could mean and at the start of the game you played as her and you played as her helping her brother which is uh which was like uh younger than she is and so what we wanted to work on was the sort of reversal like the brother used to be the younger one and the one needing help and then the player who's the giant is basically uh, now the big brother now the one who's helping her and was actually carrying her as you said swimming in the body and there are levels yeah. in which your head is completely full with uh, uh, wool so you can just jump on your head you know or on your shoulders and everything mm-hmm. and kind of the idea was showing this reversal relationship on how uh, now he is supporting her, you know, and she kind of has to let go of whatever has happened. Now, this might sound a little bit pretentious, perhaps, and maybe it made more sense two years ago when a memory hadn't fogged it up, but um, it was all based on the relationship between the two characters. So mm-hmm. definitely what you're talking about was something we had considered. Uh, ultimately, I think the story we, we came up with is, uh, is a nice fairy tale. It doesn't necessarily yeah, have the yeah, same definitely. depth, uh that connects it with what you're doing um as this one could have been unfortunately this is kind of like the reality of game development like we this was due to our naivety i don't know if that's a word like we were naive and we tried (laughs) we we scoped this project a bit too big and ultimately we had to be quick with coming up with an alternative storyline for the simpler puzzle game um but anyway when we play it i think we kind of feel both of them because we know yeah. this story has been with us for a year and a half during this project so it's still very important in our hearts so i'm sure that even when we made the switch to design a fully puzzle puzzly puzzle game uh, we were mm-hmm. inspired by that and by sense by that sense of unity that you say you have felt i've had people comparing it to and this is weird, but I've had people comparing it to giving birth, <laughs> like mm, <interesting>. the levels, <laughs> the levels of the water and everything. Are like, wow, it, uh, it 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 kind of reminded me of that, and uh, yeah. that was really powerful to hear, especially since it's besides this tiny story, it's kind of abstract as a puzzle game, right? None of yeah, the mechanics yeah. have story value, right? I mean, you're showing a different layer, so I guess it's all story-based, but really what you're doing is jumping and not dying and solving puzzles. So it's amazing to see that we could use the system to echo those kind of feelings. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And ultimately, I mean, there are so many games that we see now where the story that they're trying to tell gets in the way of the player's experiential story that they're building for themselves. You know, every time that I, uh, you know, like in, um, so many wonderful games like uh, like Just Cause, for example. like that's right. kind of a silly example to use. But like the story that I build for myself is oftentimes interrupted by them enforcing like a very specific mission on me or them making me watch a cutscene of a character who I, um you know, I, I might envision through the actions that I've taken, um as a char- as a player i might envision this character to be different than how the developers envision this character to be and so i'm i'm usually in favor of more kind of minimal more interpretive stories and so uh you know i think that the game did a very successful job of imparting all the correct emotions And I think that, you know, while there are really interesting avenues like you've already talked about to explore in this kind of imaginative space, I don't think that it necessarily loses anything by uh, not spelling everything out like it was a book. Like I like being able to just kind of like feel the story and let it kind of resonate within me without the game itself necessarily validating my experiences.
1: Uh, for sure. Like it's it's kind of what I think. Another weird example, but Dark Souls does that very well, mm, right? Yes. It doesn't mm. really enforce a story on you or who your character necessarily is, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it assigns you a role, I guess. Uh, but the amazing thing about Dark Souls is the incredible balance between mechanics and and story and background, and how everything that all of the enemies do actually has some sort of meaning in the world and some sort of context. And so there's mm-hmm. this sort of like emotional balance, where nothing is out of place, right? And obviously in an interactive medium, the moment you start writing linear story, you are going to disrupt this, right? I mean, there have been examples of people doing this very successfully, but generally I think it's just that we haven't really figured it out yet, we don't really understand it, because on one hand we have systems, and systems are based on repeated patterns and rules that combine, and on the un- on the other hand we have a story which doesn't necessarily behave like a system, and we're trying Hmm, to merge the two things right and like 30 years ago I want to make a couple floating platforms in my platformer game. That's uh, cool. I just make two floating platforms. Now <laughs> we're so obsessed with having, and which which is okay, you know, but we're so obsessed with having everything motivated, right? So uh, everything mm-hmm. you do in the game has to make sense. That we're kind of limiting ourselves as designer. Like uh, you want two floating platforms. Okay, let's make that there used to be a bridge here and it broke in half, so now you have your floating platforms, right? Which is amazing mm-hmm. because on one hand we're trying to merge gameplay. And story but on the other hand this is not necessarily the way to do it like we're taking old gameplay style and try to justify it with story right whereas I- kind of a, a
0: lot of writing around something that uh, that didn't need to be said years ago it feels like a less elegant way to express the same idea maybe
1: Oh, absolutely. I've uh, recently played The Last of Us, which I mm-hmm. really enjoy. But ultimately, I feel, uh, even though, of course, there's character dialogue and environmental storytelling and blah, blah, um, It's ultimately a very classical uh, game with an amazing yeah. context around it, you know, yeah. um, which I don't think it's where we should be heading. Like, But again, I am very much into the system design sort of thinking. But I think mm-hmm. where we should be heading is creating a place for people to... Have story happen rather than a story for people to follow. I am the biggest fan of Telltale games, uh, but Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe that's the future. I think it's about creating context, not creating stories.
0: We talked a little bit about Super Mario Galaxy earlier, and that was, you know, at a time where creating cohesive worlds was kind of at the height of everyone's mind. Um, Mario was probably at the most successful he's been in this entire series by stripping all that away and really kind of leaning heavily into the artifice and saying, we're not even going to pretend that these worlds can make any logical sense, but that's what makes Mario so brilliant. And that's what's always made Mario so brilliant.
1: Yeah, and there's this um, YouTuber called Mark Brown and he made a video about Mm, Doom, the new Doom. And he said, Doom is basically the most... Uh, Like Doom 2016 is the Doom that Nintendo would have made if Nintendo were to make a Doom. (laughs) And Uh it's so true because uh, Doom 3, for instance, uh, really wanted to believe that what's happening is real. Like Mm -hmm. you're not the player. There is a fourth wall and everything that you're seeing is realistic and motivated. I'm a greedy Mm -hmm. shooter with an amazing story. Whereas the new doom is like, ah, whatever, man, it's just a video game. You're just shooting things and breaking things. (laughs) And it's like not taking itself seriously at all. Like I know I'm a video game and I better have fun doing it, you know, which is Mm -hmm. great, you know? Um, But of course we can't just make games that, are extremely aware of being games, we also have to try to figure out a way to make an immersive story without it conflicting mm-hmm. with the old style of game design. And I think we haven't found it yet, 100%. I think we're getting there. I think it's about creating a system of rules that the player can generate emergent gameplay with, but also creating stories that ask the player to connect dots in their own head. Like mm-hmm. If you think about it, Dark Souls story... So. Uh, I don't know how successful it is because most of it, I think, comes from YouTube videos of people actually (laughs) connecting the dots for me. Uh Um, But it's one of the most interactive stories I've ever played. And the reason I say that is that they give you clues and you in your mind try to put them together, right? We're a bit off topic from through, but uh, (laughs) a a game that I really love was Her Story um, Mm -hmm. because interaction-wise is very simple. It's this police game in which you're uh, trying to figure out the details of a murder and you have access to certain videos. Uh, but the police database is limited. So you have to search and you have to input keywords to search the videos. And you can only see like five at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the entire game is seeing bits of investigation and piecing it together in your mind. Lots of people criticize this for not being quote-unquote interactive. But if you think about it, the amount of systems that you're creating in your own mind, trying Mm, to connect all the dots and piece everything together is way stronger than any system you can build digitally, right? So where does the design trick lie? Do I have to create a complex system of rules in the game? Or do I have to create a context that is narrative powerful enough so that I create a system of rules in the player's mind? Mm. And how can I (laughs) merge these two, right? I don't know, but I hope that I'll find out at some point. But yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. And this is why, uh, you know, these small kind of experimental studios who are doing uh, creating games like Fru and, uh, you know, so many of its contemporaries are so important. Uh, One of the things that I want to talk about as we kind of get towards the tail end of, of Fru's development story, once the game was released, I guess, what types of of steps did the team take to increase its visibility and uh, desirability among, uh, were there any uh, particular avenues of communication that seemed to get through to connect owners?
1: Um, So it's, it's quite a complicated subject actually. I, I don't want to repeat necessarily things that you might find online. Like there's lots mm-hmm. of Gamma Sutra article about finding a hook for your game or finding mm, right. a story. I guess the simple basic version, first of all, you have to understand who your audience is, right? Talking to the mm-hmm. press is completely different than talking to your audience. That is completely different to talking with the more mass audience and so on and so forth. There are different channels, but there are also different ways of speaking, thinking and talking, right? So there's two things that we did. One thing is how we captured the attention of the press. And another thing is how we got the attention of our audience, right? Let, let mm-hmm. me start by saying that it's easy to think that we were doomed, right? Because Kinect <laughs> 2, right? It was sure. removed. Uh, but at the same time, um, Xbox One had shipped around 4 million units when Kinect was removed. Between 4 and 5. So let's say that they ultimately sold them all, right? For instance. It's mm-hmm. a bit optimistic, but... So 4 million Kinect 2, let's assume that 50% of the owners burned it because they hated <laughs> Kinect. That's still uh-huh. 2 million users with nothing to buy, right? So potentially mm-hmm. we should be rich now. I mean, spoiler, we are not rich now, but <laughs> why, okay. How can we leverage this? So on one hand, there is the press. And I feel you're going to be disappointed at me because when you say they talked about it as the last Kinect game, that was kind of intended. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. course, I want the game to speak for itself. Of course, I believe in this game, you know? Yeah, everything
0: like, needs a hook. Every right? Everything needs um, some level of, uh, you know, something to get people clicking on the page in the first place. So. Yeah,
1: you need a story, right? You don't want to write yep. an article yep. saying, this game has good mechanics and it's fun. Okay, I don't care. There's like 50 <laughs> other games that have good mechanics and they're fun. Um, mm-hmm. So you need... A cool story that hooks you in once you want to read that article and know about that thing, right? So, of course, in a perfect world, I would just release the game, not say anything and let the quality speak for itself because, you know, I I love this game. I put my soul and my heart into it and I think ultimately came out a good game, you know, Mm -hmm. so I believe in it. But for for the press, I wrote a story, you know, and I wrote a tiny story that the press could take and just propose in their own format or ask us about it. And the tagline of the email that I sent was the last Kinect game you will ever need to play, which is kind of like a a joke, right? Because on one hand, mm-hmm. it means, oh, it's so good. You'll never need any other Kinect game. On the other hand, it's like, well, there's no more anyway. right? <laughs> so it's kind uh-huh. of okay. And in the body of the email, I basically echoed, okay, it started as a prototype. We really believed in Kinect. Ultimately, Microsoft removed it. That's we're a bit sad about it, but we think it kicks ass. I mean, of course, it was slightly better written than this. Uh, <laughs> the point being that it really worked. Like people really picked up mm. on it, and everybody was saying, you know, meet the developers that are still working for Connect or. Uh, Kinect finally has a killer app and all of these kind of things which feel amazing, you know? It, where yeah. I, if I would have just sent an email saying, Thru is a cool puzzle game for Connect," you know, uh, how many people would have clicked on it? Like how mm, many right. emails do you get? Generally, there are like that. So definitely mm. my biggest suggestion, if I am to give suggestions to anybody, is you mm-hmm. have to find the story that you yourself would click on, you know, because otherwise what's the point, right? And then once they're hooked in the story, of course, the game needs to be good. Like there's mm-hmm. no secret to marketing if your game <laughs> is terrible. So right. definitely there's that. Now to the audience, that was the hardest part. Because if I'm making a game for Xbox, I know I have to speak to the Xbox crowd. If I'm making a mm-hmm. game for PS4, I know I have to speak to the PS4 crowd. But if I'm making a game for Kinect, I'm making a game for an audience that is fragmented and it's divided into a lot of bigger audiences. Like the, yeah. the Kinect audience... Is actually just a fraction of the Xbox own, uh, of the Xbox audience, right? There is no, there is a Reddit um, uh, for Kinect, but it's not really frequented because nobody speaks about Kinect anymore. But some mm-hmm. of those Xbox One owners actually have Kinect, right? So if you, if I'm targeting, if I'm marketing an Xbox One game, then it's easy. I just go to r slash Xbox One and I speak about it there. I find the story and a hook. I try to be nice and I make a good game. But if I'm making a Kinect game i have to hope that the one i don't know 200th of the xbox on subreddit will see it and eventually push it but i'm ultimately marketing a game in a place where most people cannot play it right mm. so yeah. that makes it extremely challenging because maybe they don't even want it on their front page right and i get it if that's the case you know mm-hmm. ultimately what I did is I wrote an Imgur, I don't it, I don't know how to pronounce that, Imgur, yeah, I, I don't know, a post in which I basically described the short version of the story that I told you today and how mm-hmm. we got from like burnout to finally releasing a game and I shared it and it was just very personal. And I just told them everything they wanted to know. You know, every question I just replied as as me, as Mattia, not as uh, Frugain's PR. You know, <laughs> and yeah. that really worked. And people liked how we approached them. And it just propagated through the re- subreddit, and they gave us a lot of promotion. We even did an MAA. You know, uh, so mm-hmm. ultimately, I think the key, besides having a good story, which for the press it was an email with a good tagline and a good mm-hmm. body, and for the the connect audience, it was a personal post about our struggles, you know. But ultimately, of course, it's about finding a hook, And finding how to talk to your audience, like being personal with the press, can work, but only if they know you already. Uh, And at the same time, saying the last Kinect you'll ever need to play, sorry, the last Kinect game you'll never need to play on Reddit wouldn't really yield much. Um, So Mm. once you figure out how to talk to people and what's cool about your game, because you're not lying, you're not finding a story that doesn't exist, you're finding an angle on your product that actually exists. You're, uh, it's kind of like. Selecting the information about your game that are interesting for those people, you know. Right. Ultimately, yeah. I can tell you that the game sold like less than 10,000 copies, which is basically nothing. Um, but it got an incredible share and spread on social media and with the with the press. So I think maybe the game sucks, you know, I, I don't think so. <laughs> but maybe it does. Um, we actually had a hate mob on Metacritic. Which I think it's from 4chan, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. I think it's because I tweeted things about GamerGate. Maybe they just hate the game, you know? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but we used to have an 84 on Metacritic, and then mm-hmm. around eight for user score. Now it's like four, and it changed in a day. <laughs> so I think mm-hmm. I must have pissed somebody off. Maybe because I said The Last of Us wasn't innovative. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, ultimately, um, the press that we got, so the share that we got, is comparable to the to the one of a. Uh, semi-famous indie game but the sales are not and I believe it's because you know just connect like people just yeah
0: platform availability and um yeah desirability for people to hop back into the game a lot of people uh, who own the Kinect don't even have it hooked up to their xbox anymore and right um yeah it's just kind of the unfortunate part of uh, of people kind of moving past a piece of hardware
1: Which is alright, you know. We didn't make this game to sell. We didn't make it to make money. But ultimately, of course, you want people to play your hard work, right? I've been working on this for two years and a half. Uh, I'd be happy if people tried it, you know? Uh, So most of the time I just bring my Kinect around in my bag and when Mm -hmm. people want to try it, I just take it out and and let them play some through. Uh, It's not very portable or very efficient, but (laughs) uh, I guess it's a way, you know? And uh, reviews like yours, you know, um, actually Mm -hmm. made it all worth it, you know? Like there's also Mm -hmm. a review on... Like your review and Eurogamer really... Got it, you know? Because it's one thing to say a game is fun. And it's another Mm. thing to see, where is this game trying to go and is it successful at it? Or like, Mm. is what the game is trying to say interesting or is it just a time waster, you know? Like, not Mm, that there's anything wrong, but um, some reviews were just like, oh, good graphics, good gameplay, cool, you know? And some reviews were like, here's my experience and here's why I think it's interesting. And as a designer it was probably the most fulfilling experience of my career to read Hmm. like people's thoughts and see maybe we, we made something decent, you know? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I, I do want to kind of wrap up by saying that the, uh, the reception, as you mentioned before, was at an 84 for, uh, for I believe the professional reviews on Metacritic. Uh, am I remembering correctly that you sent around an email saying that it was the highest rated Xbox One exclusive of the uh, year last year?
1: Yeah, which is kind of hilarious, honestly. I mean, <laughs> uh, they don't consider Forza or Quantum Break because they're also for PC. Oh,
0: right. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so
1: actually, it's kind of a lie, um, but it's still kind of amazing. You know, it's our first title and it's still a high Metacritic for for that. So I'm really glad for that. Also, it's higher than uh, The Last Guardian, <laughs> which <laughs> I find hilarious. But of course, it's not better than The Last Guardian. You know, don't vote me on Metacritic because I said, that. But yeah. Anyway.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously, The Last Guardian is also a game that was very ambitious, and uh, a lot of people argue that the final product does kind of choke on a bit of its ambition. Um, like it maybe bit off a little bit more than it can chew at at, at points. Um, a lot of people had kind of frustrating experiences with that one. But uh, regardless, it's a uh, another very interesting game. One that uh, even the people who don't like it generally recommend people play which is the mark of a good game if i can say anything about it
1: (laughs) oh for sure definitely i mean there is no objective good game right Right. um so as long as the game is saying something interesting for you it doesn't matter Mm -hmm. if the camera sucks right it might be frustrating (laughs) but does it show you something you haven't seen in any other game right so Mm -hmm. to me that's how I don't want to tell the reviewers how to do their job, right? And I think there's extremely talented people out there. But when I, what I'm looking for in a review is for the review to tell me if there's something interesting about the game rather than if the camera is a 9 out of 10 or, or a yeah, 10 out of yeah. 10, right? I mean, that's the the way I see it, but of course, might be a problem. Yes. Yeah,
0: so um, just to, uh, to kind of uh, start to wrap things up here, uh, the the game that we've been talking about for the last couple of hours is fru and you can find that on the Xbox one. It does require connect. Um, that is uh, one possible limitation that people might come across. But I would say that if anybody has a connect in their homes, or even if people know where to get a connect for relatively inexpensive, you know, I, I think that even though I only ever use my connect on uh, you know, two games on the Xbox one, like I found that purchase to be, uh, immensely gratifying. They are my two favorite games on the Xbox one. And I, um, I, I don't have any regret about that. And so, you know, um, it, to the extent that playing this game is a, um, is a, an option for you, I would, uh, give it a very high recommendation on my own. As I said, I was, it was my game of the year last year and um you know of course one of the reasons that i had uh, Mattia on was that i'm really interested in this game what it's trying to do i believe that it's a unique game that explores uh, ideas and uh, and experiences that aren't often explored and um, so yes that is uh, available currently on the Xbox One marketplace, the digital marketplace. I don't believe it's had any kind of physical releases, but it's um, it's definitely out there. How much does that one cost for interested audiences?
1: I can tell you that it's going to be on sale um, this May, which is a bit far. Fair okay. enough. Uh, but for the people that are listening <laughs> to this podcast, I'll I'll make available twenty keys, so you can just email hmm. me at uh, Mattia, which is with two T's, so M A T T I A at through game.com. in this case it's not through games with a th but it's actually <laughs> frugame.com. if you just mm. send me an email I'll just uh reply back with a key because you know i just want to spread this game as much as i can and have people try mm. it yes. and i would love to hear anybody's opinions so if you if you get a chance to play it and you want to email me and tell me that it sucks or rated <laughs> one out of ten on metacritic Uh, that's cool Uh, we can also discuss about the last of us uh, anything you'd like (laughs) anyway thank you so much for having me and I I hope that what I said was uh, interesting at all (laughs) and yeah thank you so much
0: absolutely it's been a really fascinating thing Uh, of course you can uh, email uh, Mattia to get those uh, to get a key to try the game out for yourself or if if you're having trouble with the Email address you can uh, you can email us at podcast at kananrins.com or you can tweet us at kananrins and we will connect you with the right people to make sure that uh, that you can get in contact with uh with Mattia here. Is there anything that you would like to plug? Any things that you want to kind of alert people to as to your future works or things that you want to draw attention to, kind of contemporaneous works that uh, you think people would appreciate?
1: I actually haven't played a lot of games lately. And uh, this game that I'm making, I actually cannot say yet what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is kind of a weird recommendation. But if you have a VR device, you should be playing a game called Budget Cuts, which Mm -hmm. is, I think, the game that makes the best use of VR that I've played so far. To me, it's kind of like... Um, if I can say that myself, the flu of uh, of virtual reality. Um, <laughs> it's extremely, it's an extremely interesting stealth game that really uses movement and physicality to its advantage. And uh, I don't know, I find it amazing. So there's a demo. It's free. Go play it. The guy that's making it is really good and creative and nice. So hmm. yeah,
0: I've had a uh, you know a few interactions with you in the past and. Uh, we always kind of get off on interesting uh, topics about games that sometimes I haven't heard of before. This Budget Cuts one is a new one in my ears, and so I'm interested in, uh, in seeing what that one is and, uh, and what it does. But yeah, generally, uh, where can people follow you on Twitter? Because that's another thing that uh, you-, you oftentimes post some pretty good stuff.
1: Cool. I have to be honest. I don't use Twitter that much and I retweet a bit too much. But besides that, (laughs) you can find me at at Mattia Not Found. Uh, Not Found is pretty easy to spell, but just once again, it's M-A-T-T-I-A Not Found.
0: Excellent. Well, um, thank you very much for joining us today. It's been a, a real pleasure kind of talking through this game and a lot of the Uh, kind of indie uh, experimental scene right now and what that all looks like and so i hope that this uh, podcast is interesting for non-developers and potentially helpful for people who are uh, interested in uh, creating their own games in the future
1: it's been amazing thank you so much ryan for the opportunity and just to reiterate if any of the listener has an idea for a game and wants to shut it up See if the design holds up, and I don't know. Just wants any feedback from me. If you think I deserve to give any feedback, uh, you can just <laughs> email me or or Ryan, and I'm up for any kind of discussion whenever. So yeah, thanks a lot for hosting me today.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, this has been a Kanarin special interview. We will have a thread in the forum about this uh, this issue. If any uh, any of this sparks conversation, or if you have questions and I'm sure uh, Mattia will either notice what is being posted or I'll go ahead and forward things on to him uh, as they are relevant to his interest or questions for him and anything so uh, yeah this is going to be an ongoing conversation I'm sure but uh, this has been a yeah just an interesting look back at Fru and I hope this inspires more of you to, uh, to give it a try, give it a shot, now that you can with a few of those free keys out there. <laughs> yeah, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.